Happy New Year, folks. We're kicking off the Straight Talking Mental Health Podcast for 2023, talking male depression with author and mental health advocate, Neil Kelders. We had this big science book for our junior cert, and I remember writing suicide, suicide, suicide constantly. So that, when I think back, that was, yeah, there was thought processes then. I was exhausted. I had thought of suicide, not once a day, countless times a day. Once I took off my mask for mental health, I always said, I'm never putting it on. I'm revealing all, I'm sharing with everybody exactly what someone goes through. That's how we target stigma. So that darkness consumed me and I believed there was no way out. I gave up, I was exhausted from dealing with this constantly all the time. It's exhausting. It is exhausting day in and day out to deal with this. If you've uttered the phrase, new year, new me, you've come to the right place. You're starting off the year right. You're starting off listening to the Straight Talking Mental Health Podcast. That means someone you know or yourself have been affected with mental health issues. We've all been affected by mental health issues because we're human. And to be human is to experience mental health difficulties. So if you've decided to kick off the new year with trying to do something different, you're very welcome. My name is Alan Clark. I'm a psychotherapist with a degree in counselling and psychotherapy and a master's in child and adolescent psychotherapy. This is not a psychotherapy podcast, although sometimes I put my therapist hat on with some of the guests that we have on the podcast. This is the small podcast that makes a big difference. We make that big difference by doing exactly what the title says, straight talking mental health. You're very welcome to the show. If this is your first time checking us out, then this is what's going to happen. I'm going to have a little bit of an intro here. I'm going to uh, plug the social media, stuff like that, touch on last week's episode, or well, last episode rather than last week, and then we'll get into our into our guest. Our guest this week is Neil Kelders. Neil is a mental health advocate. He is a speaker and an author. He's here to talk about his book, if you can remember the name of it. We'll get into that later on in the interview. And we're here this week we are straight talking male depression. Uh, Neil is going to talk about his experience, how it started from a young age with uh, his dad leaving when he was 10, uh, his thoughts of suicide as a teenager, and the pervasiveness of those throughout the rest of his life. So a really good guy, an Irishman. We've got an Irishman back, Kerry man, to top it all off. It's been a while since we've had an Irish guest, so happy to have Neil come on and share his experience. It's a fascinating story and Neil is very insightful and there's a lot to be learned from listening to both of us I hope but before we do all of that quick plug to the social media you know what to do folks you know where to find me it is across the board at stmh podcast and that is on facebook instagram Twitter and TikTok. I had to remember there because I had to remember which way they're organized in the in the graphics here on YouTube. So that's where you get us on that, or that's where you get me rather. So if you do want to reach out, you can do that. Slide into any of the DMs. If you want to check out the website, that is www.stmhpodcast.com. And if you want to email, you can do that. And that is hello at stmhpodcast.com. So that's where you can come on and tell your story. If you uh, would like to come on and be a guest, if you've got some feedback on this episode or any of our previous episodes, please do co- please do get in contact. Let me know what you're feeling. And uh, if you're a publicist or anything like that, as I do very often get publicists reaching out for guests, uh, authors and stuff to come on and plug their book. As long as we're talking mental health, you're more than welcome to come on and do that. And I want to say a big thank you to everyone over the Christmas. There wasn't a lot going on. I was busy with other things. So the podcast would have been quiet in terms of posts and stuff like that. Christmas time for me is typically a time of the year where I just shut down, recharge the batteries. And I'm back editing the podcast, back plugging the podcast, as will be with this episode. So we're, we're coming back into it in full swing in the new year. If you haven't already, after you check out this one, you can check out last week's episode. Last week we had Rachel 
I keep saying last week, last episode, we had Rachel come on. She was coming on sharing her experience of dyslexia uh, and the impact that that's had throughout her life, whether it's difficulties in school or uh, how it manifests then later on in adult life. Uh, very grateful to Rachel coming on. Rachel, a long-time listener to the podcast and a long-time correspondent. So very grateful to her for coming on. One of the things that struck me, one of the things I never even gave any consideration to around dyslexia was, uh, as Rachel mentioned, online dating, which is obviously starting off as all done via text. And when you've got difficulty because your brain, you know, how your brain processes letters and stuff, it can make it very difficult to... I don't know, I suppose, understand the messages, comprehend, or just taking a little bit longer to reply or as you try to try to figure those things out. So it's amazing how these things, you know, we understand there's a concept of dyslexia and we understand how the brain processes words and numbers and letters and stuff like that. But to actually think of it down to the to the smallest little thing, as, as is the majority of, of dating nowadays online, you know, and having to say, look, just to let you know, I am I am dyslexic just something I'd never, never really consider, but I'm very grateful for Rachel for coming on and, and telling her story. Uh, a very interesting one. And if you have any, if you've had any uh, concerns or suspicions or anything around dyslexia, if you click back into the episode, then you will hear me give some of the kind of uh, signs to watch out for around dyslexia, whether that's for children or for adults. So you can check out that episode. I'll plug the plug the link up top there if you're watching on YouTube, or you can just go back, uh, scroll back into your, your podcast provider there, wherever you may be listening to this, and check out last week's episode. Last episode, rather. It's a new year. It's a new me. It's a new you. But we're still straight talking mental health issues, and that's what Neil is here to do. And he's here to talk about his experience around male depression, and the suicidal thoughts he's experienced throughout his life. So this week on the Straight Talking Mental Health Podcast, we are talking to the first time in ages, I think, an Irishman, someone from Ireland as a guest on the podcast. We're going all across the world, as we always do. So I'm glad I'm glad to have a recognisable accent on the, on the podcast. The man that has that accent is an author. He's a speaker. He's a mental health advocate. He's a mental health sufferer. Of course he is, because he's a fucking human being, and we all suffer with our <laughs> mental health, and that's why he's here. So, a very warm welcome on a very cold day, I can assure you, to Mr. Neil Kelders. Neil, how are you today? Alan, thank you very much. I- I'm great. I'm good, uh, thankfully. Good. And uh, how are you? I'm not too bad. i got to tell you, I'm fucking freezing. <laughs> I think it's about minus two. So, minus two or minus three, the podcast studio is in the loft, and uh, it's it's quite cold. So <laughs> can, can, can I add to your woes? Yeah, oh, please do. <laughs> I'm an I'm Irish, Irish man now, an Irish man now living in Cyprus. Oh, fuck right off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fuck. I was actually, do you know, I was, I was so looking look, and going, look, has he got, look, he's got a t-shirt chilly. on. Yeah. <laughs> and a bit of a fucking tan. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not that tough, you see. I'm not yeah. that hard. I, but I go back to Ireland soon, so. All oh. ah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've minus, I think we've minus five or minus six here. That's uh, great. This morning. I was, I was looking at it going, he looks, he looks healthy there now. <laughs> You're probably going yeah. to, you'll see my breath on the video, I'd say, at some <laughs> point. <laughs> you'll see my sweat. <laughs> yeah. As, as we like to say in Ireland, fuck right off. <laughs> or or exactly, ask me bollocks, yeah. Neil. Ask yeah, me bollocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish <laughs> so, you well, not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, pure Irish begrudgery. Of course I wish you well. I wish, I just wish I was there with you, Neil. Uh, yes, and in, and yeah, in person, yeah. that would be, that would be good. Um, exactly. Before we get started, Neil. So, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, in your yeah, words. Um, I'm from, uh, originally from Clarny, so Kerry man. Uh, sorry, sorry, there's no subtitles if you can't understand <laughs> me, but sure look, uh, that's the way it goes. 
Uh, yeah, Kerry man, and then uh, I I moved to Cyprus two years ago. But before that, I lived in um, Dublin for ten years. And actually, the move to Cyprus was part of my, I suppose, taking steps to move through my mental health. So I struggled with my mental health behind a mask. So that means for I always label, say, 15 years of age was kind of when it kind of the penny dropped that there was something not right. Um, I was actually at my desk supposed to be studying the world's worst studier. Mm-hmm. Um, writing actually Liverpool football team on my desk with my compass. You remember the old compass? <laughs> who was that? You know? Oh yeah, yeah. Who who would have been on the team at that time, Neil? Fowler, my hero. All oh, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the guys that never won anything. Yeah. But um, so writing that, and then we had this big science book for our junior cert. And I remember writing suicide, suicide, suicide constantly. So that when I think back, that was yeah. There was thought processes then. Skip forward 21 years later, 36 years of age is the first time anybody ever knew about my struggles. And it was my sister-in-law. And I write this in my book, a story, and I, I do it in talks because I want people to understand what this mm. means. Um, and I talked, and I still don't know why I talked to this day, but I was exhausted. I had thought of suicide not once a day, countless times a day. I, so much so, right, that I eventually went to PA the house and my counselor said to me, no, Neil, not everybody thinks of suicide. I thought it was a natural mm-hmm. thought process. Yeah, That's yeah. how ingrained yeah. it was in my psyche. Um, so I talked to my sister-in-law, reveal, uh, oh, which opened up me, uh, revealed the mask, opened the ma- took off the mask for a short period of time. But between that, I struggled a lot. I was the outgoing, funny, out with the lads, you know, the usual Irish thing. Everything was grand, 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 grand. But inside I was dying. I was dying. You know, I'd, I'd done co- I'd been to college twice, two, two different courses. I, I, I just couldn't find myself in life. And mm. I was empty. And I was lonely, even though surrounded by people. And I just felt that I wasn't the same. I wasn't this normal, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to be just like everyone else. And, and then I was there, but why can't you just like things and enjoy things like everybody else seems to be? What is, why are you so special? Why are you so different? Mm-hmm. So then you're, you're compounding your, your frustrations and your lows and your highs with, with this thought process as well. So that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> You're meant to give a fucking intro, Neil. You're not meant to do the interview. <laughs> there you go now. I'll see no, you later. No. Oh, there it is. Yeah, it's the fucking Gary accent now. Uh, no, that's brilliant. I, lo- I love a guest like yourself. I love when I'm editing back the podcast and I open up the audio file and I can see the waveform and it's just fuck all of me. <laughs> it's just me going, hmm, yeah, oh, wow, oh, really? <laughs> just, you just get an, an, an odd little peek in the in the waveform at times. So right. I, I, I don't think we're going to have any problem having having a discussion here anyway. Neil. No, so no, no. Um, before we get into that, as we do on the podcast, is we have our little smiles and royal section. This is, uh, this is the light and the shade that is life. It's not all good. It's not all bad. So as the guest, do you have a, a, a smile or a royal to start off? Something that's yeah, made a smile just, recently or something that's got your royal recently. Yeah, and I was just going to say that, and yeah, just something that happened recently to me. Um, so, uh, I said, as I said, like I, I've completed, I think, for me, the first project or something really. I, I suppose when you struggle with your mental health, you don't see things through a lot of the time because you question yourself and you don't believe you should be able to do this. 
But mm. I, I completed a book and I, I self-published it and I put it on Amazon and it's going up the charts, bestsellers. But that's all well and good. And the completion of that was a big smile. But mm. for me to hand it to my mother, because when you struggle and when you open up about it, it's hard mm. to let people know you are doing okay because they're always going to worry about you. And that's something you don't want. You don't want mm. to be seen as the victim all the time because you did that for long enough yourself. So I, in my book, I have a dedication to my mother. And I believe that this was really the only way that she would uh, be able to see that I was, I am doing okay. Yeah, I'm still in the trenches. Yes, I struggled, but I've got a handle on this. I, I'm taking this. I know what to do. I've worked hard on myself. Um, so she read it and in front of me and she got a copy of the book and she was very proud of me and that and I think she can see that she's a mother she's always going to worry Irish mother's always going to worry oh, but, the Irish mommy yeah. but uh, yeah but it, I think it gave her a little peace of mind and that for me brought a big smile to my face and made me proud mm. had she been aware of the struggles you had or was it just there in the page when she when she found out about it all so no one had known at all. And then when I revealed, I, I kind of didn't tell my mother initially when I had revealed at the start because I wanted to be in a healthier place because she's in her seven. It was late 70s at the time, 80s. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted her to be in a better place that I could say, look, don't worry. This is what I have been going through. But I'm I'm on the road to to uh, not overcoming. I will never say overcome. I'm on the road to managing this effectively. Great. What so, was it like then to just to hand her that? To, 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 well, I mean, congratulations on finishing a book. I mean, that's a, that's an absolutely huge achievement in and of itself. But to give something so personal, what what was that experience like? It was great. I charged her first, so it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the fucking carry boy. <laughs> <laughs> no family rates. Not no, even fucking mates rates. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, no, no, nothing. nothing. But it, yeah, no, <laughs> sorry. Uh, it, it was. It, it was pretty special because um, it was ever like I mean, there's everything in that. It's mm. a conversation, very conversational mm. book, but everything. It's raw. You like I tell about being with partners and everything. So how my mental health affected all those aspects. So, mm. and I have nieces and nephews and all the thought process were, oh, what are these people going to think? But mm. either, once I took off my mask for mental health, I always said, I'm never putting it on. I'm revealing all, I'm sharing with everybody exactly what someone goes through. Mm. That's how we target stigma. So when I was able to show that to my mom, do that, she's very proud of me. And it just felt, yeah, it felt amazing. You know, as a grown man, you're still a child in a sense as well. And, mm. and that hug just meant a lot when she gave me that hug. That was, mm. that reminded me when I was a kid again. So Lovely. it was beautiful. Lovely moment by the sound of it. Yeah. Yeah. Always yeah. oh, want to go, Neil. Do you want to go smile, smile? Or, or do you want to go smile, Ryle, smile, Ryle? Your choice as guest. So as a Ryle, you mean as in something that has... Something that's got you, something you that's pissed you off recently or something that's got you down. Yeah. Uh, do you know what's pissed me off myself? Okay. Because as I said, I, I'm still at times in the trenches. Mm. Okay, with it, I I, I still struggle. But the, the difference about this is, I know I used to be three four days in bed, curtains drawn, everything cancelled, out out of darkness, headphones on, couldn't hear anything. Mm. That was me. Now when struggles happen, I know I I put one foot in front of the other. I might be as productive one day, but I'll get there. Don't worry about that, and I'll move through it. And I adapt to meet my need that day. So. What happens to me a lot, though, and it's happened with the book, even though it's going well, success, success mm. always 
oh, strangles me. It, it, I have this imposter syndrome or, or I have this uh, frustration on myself. You should be doing this better. You should have done it before. Or you should have done this. Should, that bloody should, word. Should, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, uh, that, word, that word strangles us in life, definitely. It, it, mm. it just has no place. Um, so it happened lately where things were going well and I just felt so overwhelmed and I shut down. But again, I brought myself out of it. But again, I allowed that to happen. And that, that self-doubt crept in, uh, that lack of confidence overshone things. But again, I brought myself around, but I, I'm still allowing that to curtail me at times. And that, that kind of just uh, riled me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I think for, I think for some people, and it may, may or may not be the, be the case for yourself, as much as we can have a, a fear of failure, we can also have a fear of success. Because success brings Without a lot doubt. more responsibility and a lot more change and you know newness yeah. and that can that can be overwhelming so very easy uh, very easily you can be you know just stay in your lane don't you know self-sabotage yeah. I, I suppose to some points oh without question and you said it there so like it's funny when i was um doing well initially at the start when i revealed about my mental health and i was doing well and i was in a comfort zone i was living in double at the time i was in this comfort zone i needed that comfort zone for mm. a period of time but that period of time went on for two years and I was just doing like a hamster on a wheel. And then I said, why am I getting down again? Why am I getting low? Why am I getting anxious? Because I wasn't stretching my boundaries. I wasn't moving outside that. I was living in this little bubble, but that bubble was starting to affect me then. I needed, that's why I came to Cyprus. That was one of my things. That was, you know, let's stretch your legs. Let's do things. Get out there. Yeah, it's the fear of the unknown, but that fear is way better than the fear of the bloody comfort zone that I was going to mm -hmm. be stuck in. And I knew that was going to drag me back. So as you said, like the fear of success, yeah, it, it can play, but I'd rather that than stay in my comfort zone and struggle. Yeah, fair play. We can get we can get comfortable in our discomfort. You know, so to, oh, totally. to step out, yeah. that can be hard. Yeah, so a little bit hard on yourself, a little bit of a rile of yourself, but easier than yeah. yourself than you would have been in the past by the sounds of it. Oh, without question, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Uh, that's There'd what we call no progress. Yeah, oh, definitely. That's it. That, and you have to see it that way. Do you know what mm, I mean? Mm. I have to take it for what is. I look at it after and I'd say, okay, yeah, you were a little bit hard on yourself, but you brought yourself around and you talked yourself around, whereas before, no, it'd be driven. And I would lose, like, I, I, it would affect me working on my book, put it that way. But now it hasn't, so. Yeah. Brilliant. You know. All right. So I, I'll go royal. I'll go, go. I'll go with a royal first because it's a pretty big one, and I don't want to finish leading into the interview in in earnest with that. Uh, whereas your your royal may be yourself. My my royal this week is uh, people people in general. I watched two documentaries recently, and both of them were very fucking jarring. Um, and it makes me wonder at times how people can do such things to other people. One was a documentary on. Um, a war photographer so it's an old documentary I think it was uh, um, 2001 I think it was a uh, war photographer called uh, James Nackwee or something like that uh, American and the documentary follows him around to places like Kosovo at the times of everything that was going on there and previous other um, places he's been to as well and you know you're seeing these war zones you're seeing these mass graves and um you know, you, you just look at it going like, like, like how, like, you know, he has images. He was in Rwanda. He was there for the Hutus and the Tutsis. Mm. And you just look at these images and it's, and it's just, you wouldn't have a lot of hope after watching, after no, watching stuff yeah. like that, you know, and you can see how it's, 
you can see how it's affected him. Like, you know, he's very straight. He's very... He's, he's someone that's been there, you know? You can just see it in someone's mm-hmm. face. Yeah. You know, he's not... He, even in the documentary, he talks about... He's reluctant to talk about it because he doesn't want... He doesn't want it to come across that he's trying to talk about himself. But, yeah. you know, people are asking him and he's just kind of... Oh, well, you know, he's kind of very humble kind of guy. So that was one documentary I watched. So that was that was enough to, to bring me down. And then, <laughs> then I watched yeah, yeah. then I watched a documentary on I don't know if you've ever heard of Emmett Till. He was a uh, fourteen year old black kid in the fifties down in I think it was in Mississippi who whistled at a white woman, and uh, he was lynched. He was beaten. He was thrown in a river. But like you know, just a, a kid who a woman claimed now it's it, it's come out later in more recent years that apparently she recanted that of what she said happened so a 14 year old kid her husband and his brother-in-law went to their home dragged him out of bed at 2 or 3 a.m that was the last he was ever seen now they did they did a horrendous job on him he was found a couple of days later in the river but his mother was kind of very instrumental at the start of the civil rights movement because she had an open casket and oh, wow. yeah yeah it's a it's a very disturbing image uh i first became aware of emma teal in the 90s as a big hip-hop fan i remember ice cube had a lyric around emma teal on this ah, I think it was his lethal injection album um but for anyone that's interested it's, it's a fantastic documentary and i think they might have made a film recently i haven't seen the film but to see the image and the bravery of a mother that you know who was prepared to go look this is this is what they did to my son like this is this is what's happened um he was a kid you know he, he was a kid and if if it is the case that you know she did recant the statement you know that's that's a kid murdered because of that's whistling whistling at a white woman so so human beings have have been my royal over over the last little while just no, those, those two things yeah it's uh i often think you know you know the greed in the world and you know when i suppose it, when you come through this darkness and stuff you wonder like is this greed and is are these ulterior motives are they worth it at the end of the day we all end up in the same place yeah, you know yeah. what i mean yeah. we're here to enjoy and like we're we're humans we need to connect mm. connections make the world a better place for us and a better yeah. life for us and a better experience but yet people are trying to get ahead of each other and at the end of the day what you have for it like I would rather enjoy this with people, mm. you know, it's like I was home in Ireland there a few weeks ago and just what stood out for me again. And this is like, if I was a billionaire, millionaire, whatever, yes, I'd help the area of mental health. I would, but homelessness is the big thing for me mm. and we don't see it here in Cyprus. And I just, every time we go up to Ireland, I'm just there. So I came out of a restaurant and a woman came up and I've seen her before when I was around. So this is like a couple of years ago, she's been there. She's from Roscommon originally. She goes, I don't want money. Can I just have food? And I was in a rush, actually. I said, look, I, I have to get a trade to carry, but I have money. Can I give you that instead? And we chatted. And we chatted. A great conversation. Eight kids, whatever. And she's struggling, and I'm just there. I always just think, and this is the, the most comforting thought I think we can have as house owners or a warm bed. At the end of a bad day or the end of a day or a cold day, you just get to go home into that mm. bed. Mm-hmm. That is beautiful. You can start your day again. They don't get that. The homeless people don't get that. And that kills me. And that's, you know, something we should be addressing. And it needs to be addressed. And you, all the other issues then you have on top of that. 
you know, of course, they, they you have some that will drink or, you know, take drugs. I will never judge them for that. I'm not mm -hmm. in that situation. I will never, ever judge someone for that. You know, if you give someone money, you give them money. It's theirs then to do whatever they want. Mm. But yeah, it, it it hit me again when when I was home and it was so cold and wet, and I was just there. I, I just yeah. So that's another thing that riles me. As yeah, well. yeah. Man's inhumanity to man, I suppose. Um, yeah. But the opposite, uh, the flip side of that then would be uh, as a smile this week. I got to see some some old school friends. Uh, former guest on the podcast, Mr. David Devine, financial advisor, and uh, he was an old schoolmate of mine and another friend. So we met up last week. Uh, you know, we're adults, so you maybe you might get to meet up once a year. Uh, yeah. That was my first time seeing the lads since before COVID. I think since it was the three of us it was 2018. So it was okay. lovely. You know, nice. it was lovely to just yeah. go out, have a few drinks, have a bit of food, have the crack relive the old school days that yeah. kind of thing you know <laughs> yeah. um, so it was, yeah. it was an enjoyable experience uh, so that's Brilliant. that's the other side of it you know but it's it's as you said you know just just built for connection and yeah lovely and, and experience lovely. in that yeah. yeah so that's that's me smiles this week two two sides of the same kind i suppose humanity and yeah. inhumanity yeah. yeah yeah excellent with all of that out of the way neil you told me there at the very start about a 15 year old what was what was going on for that fifteen-year-old boy that first started writing suicide? Suicide. You know what? Um, I suppose it wasn't until later in life that I kind of understood maybe or I explored what was happening. And rejection was a big thing in my life. So, not and I, I write this in my book. It's nothing that hasn't happened to thousands of families around the world. But my father left us you know, at 10 years of age, walked out. And I suppose as a 10-year-old boy, when you see other boys with their fathers and doing mm. things and active, it, it, it eats away at you. You know, you don't want to say it does, but it does. And that was a rejection, I, was, I suppose. And it's funny, even as an adult, I never wanted that to be the uh, one of the uh, contributing reasons for, for my mental health. I didn't want him to have this effect on me, if you mm. know what I mean, mm. you know, the ego. Um, but I had to be open to that and accept that that was a contributing factor. Um, and, you know, that was a major issue with things. I couldn't deal with it, couldn't process it. I used to get very low. And then I was the cl class clown, that kind of way, you know, and making everybody else laugh. So to deter anybody ever getting an inkling that I was struggling in yeah, any way. Yeah. Uh, I was a, I wasn't a bad guy in school. I was a cheeky chap getting you know in trouble like everybody else. Um, in later life, I had good relationships with the teachers. After I used to go back into school for talks and things like that. But um, yeah, that was that was me struggling that way. And then as life went on, I've had a couple of friends that unfortunately have passed away in different circumstances, various circumstances, and they're very traumatic in themselves. You don't see it, and as a guys, we don't talk about it. We don't express. We just move on. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, what has happened is I've had all these. Then for me, this is what my depression was. And I believe what depression is. It's these little traumas that happen in life and we don't release them. We don't mm -hmm. release them. And they build and build and build and they become a darkness or they become anxiety or become suicidal ideation. You don't see any way out of the process, you know, other than. Um, and that that for me was it. All these little traumas never were never released. And. You know, even something simple like school, I love learning. I love gaining knowledge, but mm. school wasn't for me that mm. setting. You know, if I loved the subject, I, I excelled. And if I didn't dash or not, I don't like that. 
mm-hmm. you know, that kind of way. And there's loads of us like that, but there's mm-hmm. only one stream to go through, unfortunately. Yeah. And I had to go through that and I didn't enjoy it. If I learned in different ways, I would have, you know, preferred that. And I think that added to it as well. And me pushing myself down. Why can't you just be the same as everybody else? Everybody else does it. Just do it. Blah, blah, blah. You know, that kind of thing. So then the talking, the talking, the talking, the self-talk became negative and, um, you know, uh, t- turned turned everything against me in a sense, you know. So mm-hmm. that that's it, yeah. And of course, nearly everyone is feeling exactly the same. <laughs> How come yeah. everyone else has a sort of, how come everyone else is managing and how come everyone else yeah. and everyone else is fucking sitting in front of me in the, in the chair, in the client's chair going, how come everyone else has a sort of, I'm like, they fucking yeah. don't. Cause you know what? They're <laughs> all in here before you fucking telling me the exact yeah. same thing. No one has it exactly. figured out. You know, we're all, yeah. we're all making our way as best we can. And if you do, what's the point of it then? You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's the thing, you know? Life completed Life is... a mate. <laughs> yeah, God, see you later. Yeah, I'm uh, trophy. But see, life is exploration. That's what it should be, right? We should like we shouldn't have to get the one job for life or do this. Mm. Like I look at it, five six years change, change things, different things. You know, your interests change as you grow, your values change as you grow as you go through life. And yes, life can be a struggle, and that's fine. But you have to find the struggles that are worth it and for you. So I was on the ship where the struggles I didn't want, they weren't for me. I didn't enjoy them. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, oh, writing the book, that's a struggle, but I I love it. Are, are setting up a new business. That's a struggle, but yeah, that's what I want to do yeah. right now. You know, maybe down the line, it'll change again what I want. And I, I, I have to be open to realizing that and listening to myself and then changing. Mm. Your values change all the time. Listen to your values. If you stick, and I do this with my coaching clients, if we have our values, top five values, if you know what they are and you stay true to them, you're staying true to yourself and you won't feel empty. Mm. It's a very ex- existential piece of, you know, having a purpose and, and finding meaning mm. and you know Nietzsche has the quote of uh, he who has a why to live for can tolerate almost anyhow so when we're fu- yeah. suffering for something so as you say writing the book that was hard I was suffering but you were doing it with something you know yeah. it doesn't yeah. have to be an end line but they're you know working towards something whatever that may be and yeah. if it if it shifts if it varies so be it exactly exactly and I I uh, I did explore about a purpose and I agree with the purpose, but then I thought, imagine saying you've one purpose and it's not one purpose in life. It's they say, what's your purpose? Mm. Jeez, I'm 18. Give me a break. Like, oh, I don't know yeah. what my purpose is, you know? No, it's about living purposefully or meaningfully. Mm. Mm. So what I mean by that is I, at the moment, I'm doing work that I enjoy. I'm living where I want. I'm do- so everything I do is meaningful for me right now. It's purposeful for me. But as I said, that may change and I want to do something else. So I find something else meaningful. So when you retire from work, it's not about, uh, uh, oh, I've nothing else to do. No, you can find another thing, mm, other things yeah, that are meaningful yeah. and purposeful. And that, unfortunately, is where a lot of men fall down because they're consumed in their work a lot. Not saying women aren't either. Mm-hmm. Of course they are. But we can see from the older generations that yeah. they, the men are in their garden 24-7, like, you know, because they have nothing else meaningful. Mm. Meaningful doesn't have to be a paid position. Meaningful can be doing whatever you want to do, projects or whatever you do, or it can be paid positions, whatever you want. Mm. But what I would t- advise people, at a young age, find things that are meaningful, purposeful for you, for, 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 for you and that will change. And explore other avenues, explore other things. Mm. Yeah, I get I get a lot of young male clients that maybe, you know, just out of school or maybe in their first or second year in college, 
very depressed to find I've done a course that they're no interest in and they don't want to let their mm-hmm. don't want to let their parents down and as as you already said, you know, that that school format isn't for everyone. And mm-hmm. and this whole pressure of so in Ireland, you know, you get to eighteen, you do your leave insert, you do your leave insert, you go to college. It's all that going on, right, you have to have your fucking life planned out now. You know, you're eighteen, you have to go to college, you have to study that thing that you want to do for the rest of your life. And that's a fucking awful amount of pressure. A woeful amount of mm-hmm. pressure to put on kids. Like kids, like eighteen. You don't know fucking shit about shit. And and you're expected to make I, these I decisions always, yeah. about about the rest of your life. I always say, how boring must you be if you want to be an accountant at eighteen for the rest <laughs> of your life? No offense to accountants, but, like, yeah. but 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 that's it. Like, and you're you're exactly right because I've had clients, and I found the biggest issues when a lot of uh, lows happen or anxiety or or various negative thoughts thoughts happen is in transition periods in our life. Mm. So going from school to college. So I actually had one coaching client. And they go to school in Dublin that is all lawyers and top five this and top five that. And Dude, I, I went and did sports science for five years. Then I went back and did law degree. I've done nine years in college and I ain't doing anything <laughs> in relation to it. Woohoo! Yeah. That was well worth it. But, you know, I enjoy. I, I was finding myself. That was fine. You know, I enjoyed the courses, but, you know, you don't stick to it. But this client uh, was doing uh, top marks um uh, course in, in one of the big colleges, you know, the the, the great colleges in Dublin, mm. and was struggling big time. Parents got on to me, I worked with the client, and we realized that, yes, they loved the area, but it wasn't what they wanted to do. It was food science, and they loved cooking. They loved cooking, <laughs> and they loved dealing with kids. And like, mm-hmm. so, But the pressure was on to do... Uh, so, actually, uh, the, the girl, uh, she dropped out, which was amazing. We explored. She's now gone back and done teaching, which she loves. And she realizes she might only do for five years because mm. she'd like to travel. But then she can teach online. She can explore different things. She's working with kids. She loves to see this. She's uh, putting a cookbook together herself. So like, she's if she kept along this line of, of doing that course just for the sake of it, she would have got lower. She went on medication before she came to me. Now she's off her medication. Mm. And it's a simple, and I'm telling you, it's simple changes like that. It's listening to yourself. I had depression for a reason. It was telling me things were not right in my life. That's what it was telling me. Mm. This was telling her something. And now she's happier. Everything is better. It's incredible. Mm. And, 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 and people think it's all these complicated, overthought processes of change. It's not. It's listening to yourself, which is difficult to do. Yeah. And finding what you can do to change. Because if you change nothing, nothing changes. Always do something. That's mm. the question. You, know? yeah. you mentioned your depression there, Neil. What, what now, as you look back, was at, the, was at the root of your depression? And what did it look like? Very much um, the, the, uh, the rejection of my father when I ex- explored it in later years. And the traumas, uh, you know, not finding what I wanted to do in life, realizing I didn't want to just do what everybody else is doing. I want something else. But at that time, we didn't know you could nearly do something else. You know, mm-hmm. you could, Jesus, have a business on YouTube or you could, you know, an online business and things like this. And um, uh, so just being confused about that. Um so I actually, can I, I'll tell you a little, uh, what, how about. I kind of explain it in the yeah, book. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so in the, I'm going to show my age. I know I don't look at the Jesus. <laughs> in the eighties, uh, we, um, we are living in Kerry, but uh, my father was manager of hotels at the time. And he said, look, we're going to go to, for one Christmas. 
up to the hotel near square and spent Christmas in the hotel. I was there, like, no one does this in the 80s. This is mm, incredible. Oh, yeah. Yes, all excited, you know, very all excited. And we're about to set off. But then I was a little confused. Is there no way, wait, Santa's not going to find me. What, uh, this, what's happening here, you know? And the parents reassured me, lied to me. Uh, yeah, he'll, he'll make it. <laughs> uh, so what we did is we hopped in the car and no no highways, will I say, or no motorways at the time. Be some old so fucking a, spin from Kerry to Galway in the 80s. Inch. Fuck me. Trust me. And I'm the youngest of three boys. So, mm. of course, where does the youngest sit? Center. Mm. The two boys, brother, older brothers on the, the windows at allowing us to have air when they felt like it or, you know, <laughs> closing the air. But we all had our duvets and off we go and uh, land, to Dub- uh, land to Galway, sorry. And, you know, like getting excited, you know, uh, off to bed, wake up the next morning. Every year I used to get a Liverpool kit, you know, that was my, my thing. <laughs> this year I'd asked for a little rally car. So I got this plastic little blue rally car, orange visor, little seat. And I was excited. And sure, I had the best circuit, right, in Ireland because mm-hmm. – I was had the the hallways of the big hotel. I was like in elevators <laughs> all again. The poor guests were being terrorized, but sure luck, mm. who cared? So at the end of that night, I was exhausted and went to bed. And we had adjoining rooms. I think it was adjoining rooms. And back then, parents used to go down to the restaurant just below, have something to eat. The kids would be upstairs asleep, and they did have a lady that would come in and look look at us. But I remember I was in bed. And so I'm six years of age. So guys, this is 38 years ago. Sorry about this, like, but, <laughs> you know. Um, and I, I just remember waking up. And you wake up in bed, a bit of a scare, and it's pure darkness. And then I'm disoriented because it's a new room and I, I don't get the sense of it. And I, I'm kind of, so what do I do? I shout for mom. You know, she'll be here in a minute. Mm. Mom? No, no, mom. This, like, mom. And then mom, you know, they're supposed to jump and, and yeah, arrive yeah. <laughs> and there's no, no mom. And I'm like, okay, getting a little bit panicked. Okay. What's happening? The pitch dark room. Mm. And I'm there, mom, nothing happening. So I, I, I say, okay, what do I do? Okay. I'll jump out of bed. I'll, I'll run to the door. I'll go to the door. But then the monsters, and this is the thought under the bed are going to grab me as I go. The hand is going to reach and I'm going to, you know, it's going to catch me. So anyway, I jump and I leap and I leap like a, and I land like an American footballer down and I race to the door and I hit the door slam. But if you ever come to a door and you don't know where the handle is, mm. you can't find the bloody handle. It might have happened after a couple of pints sometimes, you know, this kind of, but it, you you're in the darkness and you're mm. there, but I know it's here. Where the hell is it? Mm. And I'm there scrambling. I couldn't find it. I'm there, mom, 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 no answer. And I'm starting to get worked up more overwhelmed, more overwhelmed. And I'm there, mom. And I, I can see at the other door, there's uh, the light under the other door. And I can hear kind of people in the corridor. So I know there's people out there. But they can't hear me or they're not taking notice of me. And I'm, why aren't they helping me? You know, mm, mm. can't they see I'm distressed? And I'm banging. Then I just fall down. I'm in darkness. And I'm like, you know, no one's there for me. No one can hear me. And eventually the lady comes in that was checking. And she comes in and I'm crying on the ground. And she gets my mom. And my mom comes up and she gives me this hug. But that darkness before she came, comes in, that was the darkness I lived. Okay, pure darkness, not finding a way out, giving up. I couldn't find the handle of the door. I couldn't find a way out of this. So that's why I went to suicide as my, my thought process. That's where I'll go. So that darkness consumed me and I believed there was no way out. 
I gave up. I was exhausted from dealing with this constantly all the time. It's exhausting. Mm. It is exhausting day in and day out to deal with this. My mom gave me the hug. That was a bit of support to realize that there is maybe a bit of hope there. But I always ask people like, what could I have done? So I'll ask you, what could I have done as that kid in that room to help myself? Mm. What do you think I could have done? Yeah, well, I mean, you did what you could do, you know, at that time. You called out, you but sought help. But is there anything else I could have done? Out, sorry? But in, the, in that room as the six-year-old child, mm. what could I have done to, to make people aware I was in the room? Find a light. Simple, right? Mm. I could have stopped myself for a second, stopped. And this is the biggest thing I tell people, just stop. Just stop. Mm. Don't do what you're doing, just stop. And found the light would have turned it on i could have run over to the window opened the curtains let the light in from the street i could have shouted out the window i could have banged on the other door there are several things i could have done simple things as you just stated and that's what that was my biggest learning is i realized i need to take responsibility i call it win from within and this is my aha moment when I left Pieta House one time mm. that I, I needed to have this. And that's the worst thing you ever want to hear. Take responsibility. And I'm, I'm down here. Are you kidding me? But that it, all the supports that you get will be brilliant, but they won't be as effective if you don't accept what you have and help yourself and take responsibility as well. And that was my learning. Mm. So that darkness comes now and again, but I'm able to be responsible through it. I'm able to go for help. I'm able to ask for help. I'm able to talk to people as well. I'm able to write about it, mm. you know, um, and that's where I was. I don't know if that tells you kind of the darkness where I was. Mm. What so that was 21 years. What brought you to Pieta House? How did I get to that point that, you know, you sought that kind of help? So it's it's another story. <laughs> um, so it was in Dublin. I was uh, it was April uh, two thousand and fourteen, and I called to my brother, my sister in law's house in the morning. And my sister in law said, "Come over, we'll have a coffee." Um, and I said, "Great." And they live in Dublin, so I went in. And as you go, go into the house, the smell of coffee in the air, and I look out as you go into their they've lovely double doors out to their back where they've like a trampoline and a mm. basketball net and uh, soccer goals. And that was my sanctuary, actually, because my nieces and nephews, they have four kids, and I have a great relationship with them. But that's where I would lose myself at times. When you're with kids, you can't but be present, right? Mm. Um, so I uh, went to my sister-in-law. I had a chat, and then I just came out of no reason. This is the first time I ever spoke about it. I can't do this anymore. And she was there like, what, work? No, I have to die. And that was it. And she's like, what the fuck? What? 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 And I can just imagine the impact. That, and I, then I knew I had to explain to her. I had to explain that, <clears throat> you know, I, I looked at the four kids and I said, look, even though Saoirse was the eldest now, even though at the time she, I won't, she won't be able to see, let me see her at her Debs and see the enjoyment she's having. I have to go. Liam, who's the youngest, is a Liverpool supporter like me. And we'd watch the football with my brother and himself, Liam, in the middle, even though I'll be missing on that couch. Um, I have to go. My other nephew would always call me if he scored a goal, even though he'll never dial my number again. I have to go. And my next niece, Quiva, would do gymnastics and everything, trampolines and jump on me and try to teach myself, even though she will never get that opportunity. And I know it will hurt them all and that, you know, it, they will struggle with this. I have to go because my want to die is far greater than their needs at this moment of time. And you do believe 
you're doing them justice and better for them because for your family because you're just so even though they didn't know nothing you just feel that you're just a drain on it and that this will never change for you mm. so we chatted and then when i talked get this i talked to my sister-in-law boom it was like a weight lifted straight away i was like oh is that all i had to do ah sure geez i'm grand now <laughs> poor i said and i said to her i'll see you later and she goes what? what no no she goes what no i said oh i have a meeting to go to i have to go to meet someone down she goes no please neil stay i said look i have to go i'll, I'll come back in 30 minutes in 30 minutes or now so i and i said oh as i left don't tell my brother who's te- he's 10 years older than me my eldest brother sure don't tell him mm-hmm. i mean like yeah i won't tell him neil of course yeah. i'm not the brightest of times <laughs> i'll tell you but uh so I come back to the door and they have this big black door with a window in the middle. And when I re- knock on the door, who comes towards it? My brother. And I'm there, oh, Jesus, here we go. He's going to direct me, tell me what to do. And that's not what we need at times. That's why sometimes we don't tell family because we don't need to be directed. We don't need you to take control of the situation. We need you to listen. It doesn't matter if you don't understand. I don't understand what I'm telling you. It doesn't matter. Just be there. So he opens the door and I'm ready for this. And next thing, he does the greatest thing that has happened in my life to date. He just grabs me, he holds me, and he hugs me. Doesn't say a word, and he holds me. And you know when you put your head on someone's shoulder, I just sank into it. And it was like when my mother hugged me back in Galway that Mm -hmm. time. I felt maybe things could be okay. And uh, maybe I, I can deal with this. And it was just, he didn't say anything. They brought me into the kitchen. And then he goes, look, I rang Pierre the house, Neil, on the way. I said, no, I'm grand. I don't need to do that. Then eventually I said, look, I'll do it for you. So he said he'd come with me. So we drove to one of the centers. And of course, I'm thinking this should be undercover, under driveway sellers, you know, because this is mental health. Like this should be under the cover of darkness. Mm. You know, this is crazy. Like no one should see me. This is, you know, a covert operation. And I drive into a driveway and I ring a doorbell and I go into a reception and I'm like, is this right? This can't be, <laughs> this can't be happening. Do you not know what I'm struggling with? And they sit me down in a room with other people, with their parents or partners or whatever. And I'm like, this is surreal. And Neil, you're called in. I, this is like, but what hit me when I was there was the amount of teenagers passing me, mm. teenagers going in and out. And I'm there, guys like, what do you have to you know, why, how do you have these struggles? Yet, wasn't I that kid 21 years ago mm. without realizing it? But they are 21 years ahead of me because they're starting to deal with their stuff, yeah. which is amazing to see. So I went to Pieta House, went to counseling sessions. One counselor didn't work for me, second and third one, amazing. And that's why I just want to make a mention on counseling and stuff. Counseling, the process will work. You just may not click with the counselor. Yeah. Like a person yeah. training, you may not click with. Don't give up on it find the right person for you mm. okay so went and, and uh, after a couple of sessions she said to me neil i'm gonna have to challenge you safely and i was like yes i didn't want to have to go through oh when i was three i did this we back and forth and if she didn't understand what i was saying she would go away look it up and, and come back and we'd have a chat and it was amazing mm. brilliant they extended my sessions and after the sessions then after there was about eight left she goes neil i can't take you anymore and I knew what she meant by this. After a while, I started to give her what she wanted to hear. I had run my course with her and she identified this and she let her ego go and she said, I need to pass you to someone else, which was amazing. But that day when I when I left, I got outside the door, I remember going, ah, that's it. 
the counseling is working. It's really, really good. It's helping me. It's putting out my fires every week. But I just don't feel I'm stepping ahead. How do I step ahead? That was my aha moment. Win from within, take responsibility. Imagine if I bought, really bought into the process and really started to help myself as well and find tools and strategies and actions I could take and adapt them. So you might tell me things to do, but I can adapt them to be to, for my need. And imagine if I can do that. Mm. Imagine what the counseling would do for me. Imagine when I talk to someone again will do for me. Imagine because after I talked to my family that first time, I didn't. I, I do you know what I kept saying? I'm grand. I'm grand. <laughs> So I never talked again until two weeks later. I remember two weeks later and my brother goes, are you, are you fine? And he was starting to notice. Now they're starting to notice me, which is a key. And I was low and I said, I am grand. Sure, what would be wrong? And I was struggling again. So the thing is talking will help, but talking is part of the process. And Pieta House was part of the process. And everything else I do, exercise and meditation. Now it took me five years to gravitate towards it, but I love it now. All these are part of the process and together, which you buying into it and you taking action is how you can manage effectively your mental health struggles. Mm. I like to talk, right? Oh, dude, that's, that's what you're here for. You're not here to fucking listen to me. People are here to listen to you, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same with clients. Clients that come in to me and they go, how are you? And I just go, yeah, I'm good. And, and sometimes, you know, when there's a good, <laughs> a good relationship built up, I'll say to them, look, to be honest with you, that's only ever how I'm going to answer that question because we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'll always yeah, be good. Exactly. I'll always be good. Uh, I just wanted to go back a little bit, um, Neil, just to reverse for a small bit. You'd mentioned your, your dad leaving, the kind of uh, rejection and the abandonment. As you said, the ego came in. You didn't want that to have affected you as much as it, it had affected you. And the manifestation then of your mental health in relationships and stuff like that. What was it like for you then in, re- in relationships? You know, going in with that you know, fear of abandonment or fear of rejection or however it manifested for you. Again, not knowing initially what the issue was, but there was always a block. So for example, I was in a relationship with a girl. We had a house in uh, in Kerry for 10 years. Just uh, luckily enough, we realized that we were on different paths, you know, so that was great. That was fine. But then after that, I found, and I write this in the book, it's, I was in the wrong relationships for time. I never was in a relate. I haven't been in a rela- real relationship, for, I'd say, since. So we broke up in 2008 and it's 2022, right? I've been with people three months max, okay? But I always noticed that I was with, when I was in Ireland, I was with someone who was in France. Or I was with, if I was in Kerry in Dublin. Mm. So that I would have my space and that they would have, you know, we would meet or whatever. But it was because as well, I didn't want to get too close. Um, I didn't want them to get to know me. I didn't want them to reject me. So I wouldn't buy into these kind of short-term relationships. Or I would have someone, I would go be with someone just to have someone for company. I know it sounds like an asshole move, but mm-hmm. it would be it would be to have mm-hmm. someone there in my life. You know, we all want that company. And then, uh, you know, I was with the wrong person for the wrong reason. And that's why these things didn't last. And I wouldn't buy into it. They'd see that eventually. And then they would say, look, this isn't working. You don't want this. And I would feel rejected. Mm. I was trying to stop that, but yet it was happening. Mm. And I just couldn't find myself. I couldn't. And I, what hit, what stood in my head, my, you know, I suppose my parents, they divorced and I, and my father wasn't the nicest of people. And I, I didn't want to be like that. So I had that fear as well, you know, 
but his rejection as well. I couldn't take, even with work and jobs and friendships, I was very cagey about going into things because I just didn't want people to reject me. I didn't think they would like me for who I am. I couldn't believe you could like me for who I was. Mm. I didn't think there was anything to like. I had nothing to offer, mm. you know? So I had a, didn't have a great uh, perception of myself, to be honest, you know? Mm. And yeah, so it was the fear of rejection that that has kept me. And this is something I've continued to try to work with. Mm. But now I'm in a better place. I don't just want to meet someone for the sake of it. I'm happy sitting on my own, which is a massive thing I had to learn. I'm able to sit on my own. I think a lot of us aren't. Mm -hmm. And that's why Mm -hmm. we crave to meet someone else as well. But I think once you're happy sitting on your own, then you will meet. You're more open and more in tune to meeting the right person. Yeah. Uh, I suppose for yourself, you know, you kept that, you maintained the emotional distance with a physical distance, long, long distance relationships. You know, you kept people literally at, at arm's length yeah. and more. Yeah. But I suppose there's, there's yeah. also the, uh, the element of it being a kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in terms of you expect people to reject you or you expect people to abandon you and you mm-hmm. acted in a way which helped to bring that about. So you, you expected them to leave you. Yeah. You kept them at a distance, yeah. Yeah. which led to them ultimately leaving you. Yeah. Yeah. Makes no sense, right? No, no sense whatsoever. Makes, like. makes perfect sense you when know, you understand where it's coming from. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, but f- like uh, for me doing that, mm. it makes no sense mm. whatsoever. Mm. I mean, that's, but that's us humans, right? We do things that don't, that we don't want, but yet we're working towards that, you know? Yeah. And that's what, it, sorry, that's what I mean. That makes no logical sense yeah, in my yeah. thing like my thinking like what are you doing but it was i was i was creating that end result anyway yeah yeah you know but as you said there was still that desire to connect you know just just to have oh, someone yeah. there you know even even at it, that yeah yeah and i i think a lot of that as well is because as you as you get uh, again society feeds into it as you, you grow older you should be should be should be I have no kids. I'm not in a relationship and I'm very, I'm very happy now. Yes, I struggled, but Mm. I'm happy. I'm happy in this struggle at the moment. I'm happy where I'm at. And I love meeting people, new people. I've gone out on dates and stuff and it's great. And, and it's just, I'm, what I love now is I have the strength to say, look, it's just not for me or if it's not for them, it's great. But we had a nice time Mm. and that was good, Mm. you know? Um, so I'm in that better place that, but now I think I need to push myself a little bit to say, okay, let's, let's try and meet someone. You know, uh, let's have this as a focus. And I have it on my vision board, you know, that, you know, we have this supermodel that will be <laughs> linking in with me. But yeah, uh, no, but, you know, I, I, I want to meet someone that I, I and I, I do want to meet that someone who's who's a good friend, a best friend as well, that kind of uh, link. So mm. we'll see what happens. Mm. Never know. If anybody wants to know. <laughs> yeah. Please check out Neil Gilders. We will, we will get to all where you can find him in a few moments. Before we get into that last yeah, piece, yeah. Neil, um, one question, and you may have already answered it, but what for you would you say would have been the most difficult mental health challenge you had in your life and what helped you to get through it? Um, so I have two people close to me that took their lives. And my first friend took his life in 2013. And my feeling when I saw the pain that it caused all of us, we lived, we lived, a, it was a childhood friend, we lived in a small uh, cul-de-sac in Killarney. Mm-hmm. We were all in each other's pockets growing up. And when he 
took his life. I saw the pain it uh, had on us and his family, and I saw all the emotions, and I was jealous. I was jealous because he was free, and I was still going through my shit. Mm. And I felt guilty for that, but I was jealous. I was so jealous. Um, even though I saw the pain because I was there, he has this relief now. He doesn't have to go through what I have to go through. And I know what he's probably been through because it's similar enough in, to, with people. And jealousy consumed me. Shoot through to 2019 and unfortunately my cousin took his life. And I wasn't jealous anymore. I was sad. Just pure sadness uh, consumed me. And that showed me that the work I'd done in myself had brought me around to a level to realize that suicide isn't the way. It's not the way. You know, I always kind of think of Hamlet to be or not to be. And I, I always take from the words is, how do we know it's not going to be worse than the other side? That's what I think, say to myself. How do you know? How do you know that's a relief? This could be a relief, dude. You know mm. what I mean? So mm. you can do something about this. So, um, that's my mental health has always struggled with things, various things happening, simple things happening in my life. But those two were, you know, that the shock and the being distraught with those two events, um, but showing as well, which unfortunately showed me how I had grown as well. Hmm. At the time, what helped you get through it, Neil? Was it social support? Was it just drawing from an inner strength or? No, just getting out. Uh, with the first one, it mm. was just, we don't talk. We don't talk like we do. Even when we we're close friends, we went out for a few, be you know, in Irish funerals, and we, oh, yeah, we yeah. all get together. The guys, Some guys came back from America, some came from Dublin, whatever, and we all congregated, and we talked about good times and about the person mm. and about all of us, and it's great. And <clears throat> oh, we'll all keep in contact, and <clears throat> we don't. Um, and... You just you don't you don't deal with it. You don't get through it. You just move through it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's I was just oh another sorry another layer onto my uh, one of my traumas. And mm -hmm. then with my cousin again, we chatted about it. I talked to his brother and his sister, and we were close enough and stuff. And we'd talk now and again. And uh, me being able to write about my cousin in the book. Um, as well about that experience was great as well and a bit of a dedication to him so mm -hmm. you know um well i don't think we and again do, did i talk about that much to deal with it you know not really mm -hmm. um but i was able to process it better mm -hmm. i was in a better place i think i think i think what a lot of people would be would be guilty of is you deal with it but you don't feel it you know you get on with it yeah and uh, you know very often yeah. around grief and particularly uh suicide is no one talks about it. No one talks about it because everyone's yeah. afraid of upsetting someone else. And, you know, and I see it yeah. in families the whole time with, with around suicide and with grief. No one's talking about it, but fucking everyone needs to talk mm -hmm. about it. <laughs> everyone's worrying about upsetting yeah, everyone else. Yeah. 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 You need to get angry. You need to get sad. You need to be confused. Mm. You need to ask questions. You need to know answers. You need to inquire, be curious, mm. you know? Um, and that's what we all need. That's what we need is we need to be curious mm. about mental health. Okay, you need to be curious about people as well. If you see someone struggling, don't say oh, I can't ask them because I'll put suicide in their head. Trust me, yeah, yeah. it's there. Yeah, it's it's yeah, already exactly. there. <laughs> if it's there, it, it, yeah. it, it, you ain't you ain't doing nothing, yeah. right? But 
what you're doing is the person might say they're grand, but what you're doing is you're putting a little twig in there and they might talk to someone else down the line and they'll just go, someone has actually bloody noticed. Mm-hmm. Wow, mm-hmm. that could mean a lot to them. Yeah. Okay, so don't be afraid to ask someone, are they depressed? Are they suicidal? Would they like to go for a coffee? Just ask, do that. You don't have to understand. Mm. Don't think about that. Don't let that get in the way. All you have to be is comfortable yourself in order to ask, but ask because we have the potential as people that don't struggle to save someone else's life. That is, for me, is so powerful. Yeah. You've told your story, Neil, but not all of it. You have done that in your book. Please, please tell us about the book, where we can find it. So the book is... um, uh, the, called the. I was trying to think of the name. But, uh, <laughs> do, do you want me to, to give you the title of your own book, Neil? <laughs> <laughs> There's a carry man. Uh, the other side, um, a memoir of hope in the midst of depression. That's the so it's one. very conversational. <laughs> there, uh, yeah, yeah, got it. Run. Uh, it's very conversational, and mm. there's Neil's notes as you go through it. So the idea is that you take action as you go through it. And it's not just for people struggling. It'll give you a good insight and you can do the Neil's notes. So it's simple kind of crazy ideas I've come up with uh, for little tools to help yourself to change your thinking and stuff like that. It's very conversational. I say, hey, put the book down now and all this. Mm. And there's a QR code inside that if you scan it with your camera, you get the workbook of all the Neil's notes together as well. So the idea is I want you to go back to it because how many times... Uh, Alan, have you bought or I bought motivational books and then we put them down and sure. <laughs> that's the end of that. I'm yeah, yeah. sick of having a bookshelf load of them. Mm. And I said, that's the end of that. So the book is about you to re- write it, refer to it, do whatever you have to. Um, you can get it on Amazon and it's it's doing well on Amazon, which is great. And also on like Book Depository, Waterstones, Barnes & Noble, all these all these um, um and it's in Easton St. Clarny, my hometown. Yeah, well. so very that's nice. Cool. That must be a nice feeling. Yeah. Have you seen it in the, in the shop? It's, uh, I'll be going down, but they took a picture. It's in the, in the front window Lovely. above Bono. Hey! That's when you've made it. <laughs> that's it, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, top, I'm top of Bono. Well, not, yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Outside of the book, Neil, where can, where can people find you? Can people find you online? Can people find you on social media? Yeah, so very easy if once you get my spelling right. As I said, unmasked, so everything is my name. It's neilkelders.com is my website. And then Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. LinkedIn, uh, Neil Kelders is my, so it's N-E-I-L-K-E-L-D-E-R-S. True Irish name, huh? <laughs> Where is that? Where is that from, Neil? <laughs> so my father's originally Dutch, actually, mm-hmm. So, but lived in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. mm-hmm. yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> So before we leave the last word with Neil, just a couple of things just to check in with folks before we wrap up. One of those things is, as we've been talking about in this in this episode, has been male depression. Now that can manifest a little bit differently uh, for men rather than women typically. So one one thing that how it can sort of manifest differently with men is uh, being a lot more irritable, um, snappy, angry, frustrated a lot more. You tend to see that manifest with depression around men more so than women women tends to be your you know what we would typically understand as that sadness and stuff like that so look lads don't like look i'm a male therapist i get a lot of male clients 
don't fucking perpetuate this whole toxic masculinity of man up and fucking suck it up and all this bullshit like that gets men killed like and if you go back we've had we've had episodes in the past on suicide we've had episodes in the past on depression you can you can check back over those and one of the things around men and suicide is and and i joke about it facetiously is you know if you if you want to do it get a man to do it if you want it done properly get a man to do it because men complete suicide more than women women attempt suicide more but men complete suicide more and that's typically because they choose more violent means so which there's, there's no comeback women may be um you know uh, an overdose attempt and they're found or you know it, it's they haven't taken enough to to complete suicide whereas man could be a hanging it could be a shotgun it could be it's it, it tends to be more violent means so you know don't be a statistic lads you know it's time to reach out this is a new year like fucking make a commitment to yourself make a commitment to to the people that you love but most importantly start to love yourself and and, and get help if you need to reach out to a therapist reach out to a friend uh you know neil spoke about it of you know everything that he was going through in school and he, he was the class clown you know men we, we tend to compensate so if you've found that uh you know you've got insomnia and that that can manifest then again we have an episode on sleep so that can manifest in sort of three ways so one is difficulty falling asleep waking up in the middle of the night and being awake uh, for a long time or waking up at like stupid o'clock so like kind of waking up at half four or five a.m and then being awake so if you've got that or so that's the typical insomnia or the other side of it is hypersomnia. So that's where you're sleeping way too much. So you're sleeping constantly. If you find you're, you know, you're using alcohol or you're using drugs more, you know, to cope with something, you know, just just give considerations. Give considerations to that because, you know, don't don't just be uh, another statistic, lads. If if you're feeling sad, you're feeling low. If there's you know kind of excessive guilt, excessive shame. If there's things you're not enjoying in life anymore, things that maybe once brought you joy, but you know you just you're not enjoying them anymore, or you can't bring yourself to do those things. If there's been a weight loss, so if you find you're not eating, or the other side of it is you know you're eating an awful lot more than you used to, using drink, using drugs a lot more than you used to. If you're feeling agitated, feeling tired, having difficulty concentrating, you know these are all kind of early signs of depression to check out. And lads, look, reach out whether it's to a friend, whether it's to a therapist, just know that there's help there and you know listen back to any of our guests any of our guests in the past who've had these mental health difficulties that have come out the other side of it you know because very often a lot of people that attempt suicide you know as soon as they start people that have thankfully survived and as soon as they start they've gone oh shit this was a bad idea you know so listen back to any of our guests and you'll hear how much of them have regretted the suicide attempt or how much their life has changed for the better since take it that the depression is your emotions yourself trying to indicate there's something wrong here there's a gap between where you are in life where you are versus where you want to be the wider that gap the greater the the level of unhappiness so just some things to note you know if you are a man or you know if you're a woman and you relate a lot of these symptoms as well you know reach out to someone don't be afraid to go look are you okay you know neil has spoke about it in in the episode so there's a lot in it but please do reach out and get help don't be fucking statistic lads don't don't perpetuate this all man up and suck it up and all that bullshit like them fucking days are gone like them days killed men um and we don't want we don't want that anymore for a wrap up a quick uh just a quick plug on the social media you know what to do folks facebook 
Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at STMH Podcast. That's the username across all platforms. If you haven't already, please give a subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're watching on YouTube, just hit subscribe and get notified. Drop a comment down below, all that sort of stuff. Let me know what you what you thought of this episode, if anything is related to you. If you've learned something from this episode, if you've been entertained or you've been educated by this episode, please consider giving a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever you may be using. Uh, that's going to go a long way to help us reach more people. Maybe we can save a few more men, as we have done on the podcast in the past. And we know that from the correspondence of people telling us we've helped to keep them alive. That's what we're here to do. You know what to do, folks. It's two weeks. It's a new year. Make that commitment to yourself. Keep checking out the Straight Talk and Mental Health Podcast. Get help if you need to do it. But in the meantime, I'm going to be back in two weeks. Same bad time, same bad channel. So look after yourself and look after each other. One thing we ask of every guest that comes on, Neil, is we ask them to share some words of wisdom. Some life learnings, mm-hmm. something they've taken from this life, a motto or creed that they live by. You've lived a life from what you've told us already. I'm sure you've got plenty you could share with the listeners, but what is something that you would share from people that, that you've taken from this life so far? Uh, this I, this is what I live by. This is what I say at the end of everything is, and I've said it already, I think um, if you change nothing, nothing changes, right? So do something, just do something small, and it is down to you. And if you're struggling, right? And I'm not going to say everybody's struggling. That's fine. That doesn't help you whatsoever, Mm -hmm. right? If I say everybody else is struggling, right? But believe me, you can change this. And you know what? You are worth a place in this life. You are worth a place. I don't care what you think. You are worth a place in this life. I had to believe that myself. And this life is actually worth living. Like if you go out on a sunny day or a rainy day or wrap up and you just experience it, this life is worth it and you are bloody worth it. So you stay around, so you do, you change something, okay? You do something to help yourself, all right? And Alan's always there, I'm always here if someone needs to talk, and I'm not just saying that. Mm. You contact me, and I'll contact you.